0: With you. So we love you. We praise you. Praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Good to be here. I love your town. I lived for many years just up the, the road in Vernon and always love an opportunity to come back to the Okanagan. We've just been here. My wife and I bombed in Friday night, spoke Saturday most of the day at another church, then preached there this morning. But Tina, Marie, and Jeff have been bragging on y'all. I'm not American, but I love the word y'all. And my levels of intrigue over the last couple years about the house have just got to the place where I was salivating for an opportunity just to come here and that I should be invited not only to come and attend amazing worship time with you, but to actually be the person who talks to you tonight. Incredible privilege, not the least which of which is that my wife and I came to faith in Christ when uh, she was in her late teens and I was in my early 20s. And that was such a radical encounter with the living God that transformed everything. And quite honestly, I would never trade my worst day of being a Christ follower for for my, my best day before that for anything. And so there's something about young adults that our heart has always been very open and tender toward because that was the age when Christ came to us, claimed us, called us into his kingdom. I want to talk to you about the kingdom, kingdom of God. In this past week where I teach at Ambrose University in Calgary, at had a speaker and he gave us the plot line of a movie I'm pretty sure you've never seen or even heard of. I'd never I've never seen it. I haven't seen it now. It was just this past Tuesday he talked about it. Uh, I had not heard of it. It's a 1979 Russian art house movie called Stalker. Any anyone know this movie? I'd never heard it. And Stalker doesn't kind of have the connotation it may have to your ears. It doesn't mean some some, you know, prowler creeping around. It means tracker or guide in the movie. So here's the plot line. Uh, I tried to get this movie. It's very hard to get, so I, I don't think any of you are going to rush out. It's not on Netflix, etc. I tried. Here's the plot line. Very simple. Post-apocalyptic, some nuclear holocaust has devastated Earth, and the whole thing's kind of a blight. And this tracker, stalker, takes a professor and a writer. So it's starting to sound like a bad joke. And uh, he takes him across this, this wasted landscape, you know, trees all kind of leafless, and this, this, this red-gray sky, this, this eternal nuclear winter, and he takes him across this landscape, because he's taking him to this place called the zone, and then in the zone, there's a place called the room, and if you get inside the room, this is what will happen, is that your heart's desire will both be revealed and fulfilled. The thing that you long for most is going to be shown to you in all its fullness and given to you in all its fullness. So this journey in this, you know, nuclear wasteland to the zone, and they get into the zone, and then they get in the room, and they're right at the threshold of going into the room where their heart's desire totally revealed, totally fulfilled, and guess what happens? Anyone? That's where the movie ends. No, they they flinch. He said that's where the movie ends. I mean, I shouldn't have, You, you come on, play with me. <laughs> uh, they flinch. They got their hand on the handle of the door and the thing that they've made this perilous quest to get in to find out what do I desire with all my heart because I'm about to get it. And do they want it? Let me ask this, would you open the door? Do you know what you want? And if your life was, somehow the narrative was the actual truth about what you desire, not what you say, but your life was the truth. If you got it in full, would you be satisfied? I've been haunted. I mean, this is just like less than a week old. I heard this plot line and it's haunting me. Would I open the door? Would I go in? Would I have the 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 thing that I'm actually pursuing with all I have? The real deep down story that's shaping my life. Would I open that door? Would I have it revealed? Would I have it fulfilled? I want to read a story that will probably be familiar to many of you, and it's a parable that Jesus tells very late in his ministry. Uh, he's heading toward Golgotha, he's heading toward the cross. And there's an intensification of stories about Are you ready? Are you ready? Um, the kingdom is coming. Are you ready? Is this what you really want? And this is famously called the the story of the talents, Uh, I think they call it now, the story of the bags of gold. It's in Matthew 25, it's going to be a bit of a lengthy reading, and again, it's probably for most of you a story you're fairly familiar, but I would plead with you to give it your full attention. Again, it's verse fourteen twenty-five. Again, it will be like what will be like. The kingdom will be like. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. To another two bags. And to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went to one, uh, at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them, The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, uh, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. (laughs) His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. Then the man who received received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, see, here it is. This is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You should have done something minimal. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the other one, the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and whoever and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a happy story that is. I pastored for many years as Ryan said and I preached from this text and its its companion in Luke a number of times and always I was trying to do one or two things I had one or two agendas as a pastor when I would preach from this text I was either trying to raise money or get volunteers <laughs> and we needed people in the, to do the jobs nobody really wants to do work with a little you know kids with snotty noses and wailing all the time or whatever. We need people in the children's ministry or we needed money for some building project. And so I, told, you know, I just hauled this thing out and you're not gonna be one of those people who bury your talent, are you? You're gonna you know, go hog wild. And, um, and then I noticed that it's probably, a, a, I'm not sure entirely, a misuse of the text. It's a reduced use. Because this is a parable about the kingdom of God. Again, it will be like yet what the kingdom of God is like. It's a series of kingdom parables that Jesus is telling. What he's actually saying to us is, I'm going to tell you what kind of people flourish in the kingdom. How you actually now, right now, begin to live your life that you are going to be able to breathe the air of the kingdom. And when you when you get into that place in all of its fullness, it's going to be like, "Woo, we're home!" <laughs> Rather than "Where is this? Is weird." <gasps> it's about who really flourishes in the kingdom. Now, the Bible has a lot of talk about that. It's actually, as you probably know, the fundamental message of Jesus is: Get ready; the kingdom is coming, and is here. Is here and is coming. His message at the heart was about the kingdom of God. And so we we have actually lots of stories and Paul's letters, if you read them through that lens, are really about what kind of person flourishes in the kingdom. How do you kind of live life now? What are the kind of postures? What are the kind of attitudes? What are the kind of practices that prepare you for this, this life in the kingdom? And here's the thing that this story alarms me about. It turns out a, just, just if we look at the story, there's one kind of person who will not flourish in the kingdom. They're not going to like it. They're, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to stay there. They get, you know. They, and it's not the greedy, and it's not the, the depraved, it's not the people who have sexual issues. That's not what this story says. It says the person who is not going to do well in the kingdom of God is somebody who's too cautious. I mean, the, the, the guy returns the money intact, <laughs> he takes zero risk, he completely hugs the shore. And the story is telling us, if you want to begin to prepare your life, your heart, your mind, your spirit, to live flourishingly in the kingdom, you actually got to be a bit of a risk taker. Well, let's get into this story proper. At the heart of it is, I think, this equation, how we see God affects how we live life. A.W. Tozer famously said, I think in his book, The, the uh, Knowledge of the Holy, that when we hear the word God, what comes to mind next is the most important thing about us. How we see God affects how we live life. And we have at the at the story, this man who has this perception of God as hard and stingy and angry and grasping. And so because he has this perception of God, he actually lives this life of, he just gets kind of, Closed up in this view of God, he starts to live very cautiously. <laughs> Remember the story in, in the book of uh, Second, 2 Second Samuel where David dances before the ark? Do you know that story? 2 Samuel 6. Uh, David's bringing the ark of God into Jerusalem. It's a big day. Um, but the first time he attempts to do that, actually, there's a, a man by the name of Azza. He's a priest and they're bringing the cart in on a or the the, the ark in on a cart and the ox pulling the cart stumbles and the cart starts to teeter and the ark's about to slip off and ozza does this thing that i think seems like a good idea he reaches out his hand to steady the ark and he gets struck dead right on the spot David's pretty upset about it. The thing goes in the cold storage for a bit. And then about three months later, David says, let's give this another whirl. And they bring the, 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 the ark in this time and they I guess they, they read uh, you know, Exodus a little more carefully and they realize they're supposed to carry it on poles, slung you know on the shoulders of priests. So they're doing it this time. And what's interesting to me is David, uh, who is seen in a sense the dangerous God, <laughs> instead of being careful, is kind of riotously wild. He goes dancing before the Lord. His impulse is to be less cautious, not more. But this man, he sees God as this hard and stingy God, and he begins to just sort of close up into his life and start living very carefully, very circumspectly really minding and just bringing back what, here is your thing, the very thing you gave me. And it's, God's like, oh, what were you thinking? But here's the good news of this story. Is this, it's in many ways about not that servant, but the two servants that we're told about who actually go and double the money. Uh, they get five bags and they make more, five more bags. They get two bags, they make two more bags. That's that's kind of wild investment. I don't know much about the investment world, but I know if you're doubling the money, you're taking risks, right? You know, right? You're just, you're taking some hairbrain risks. It's, it's a bit nuts what you're risking. And I want to suggest that just as the man who's playing it safe, who's being very cautious with what he's received, uh, has a perception of God that is kind of narrow and hard and this angry God, this angry master, that the the two servants that take the extraordinary risk also have a perception of God that I would like for you to have this perception of God. Three things particularly they see about this master. First of all, they see he's ridiculously generous. They would see that. Because, you see, this master comes up to the servant And he says, here is my gold. You don't have to come up with it on your own. I'm giving you my stuff. And this is a lot of money. In the older versions, again, it says talent. Um, A talent is about a year's wages. So 10 talents is about 10 years worth of wages. Uh, You know, wages are maybe paid out differently, but just imagine you're in a you know, the job that you're maybe training for or something and you're making, I don't know, pulling down 80 grand a year or something and you get that times 10 or times five or even just times one, that's a lot of money. And the master just simply comes up and says, hey, here's a bunch of money. Um, Do you do that? You know, (laughs) just go up to people that you hardly, you know, know or whatever. Here's a bunch of money. There's just this ridiculous, outrageous kind of generosity about this master. And these guys just say, I, I get his heart. He's lavish. He's extravagant. He's not a stingy God. He's a generous God. The second thing that these servants see about him is it's actually he's a risk-taking God. The, the reason God might be asking you to take a few more risks with what he's given you is because he's a risk-taking God. Because what he simply says, and and in the, the version in Luke, it's very clear. Uh, he just simply says, "Put this to work for me. Here's a bunch of here's here's you know ten bags of gold for you and five bags of gold. And just put it to work. He doesn't micromanage that at all. He doesn't say, "Well, here's a brochure on how I want you to invest this kind of money. Uh, these are good investment strategies, and I'd like you to follow." He's like, "Go out and do it, you know." So, there's a, a phrase that occurs seven times in the New Testament And it's usually translated, make every effort So for instance, in Second Peter, there's this occurrence of that one Actually it says twice in Second Peter chapter 1 Make every effort to add stuff to your faith Uh, Make every effort to make your uh, uh, calling and election sure. But before we ever get to those make every effort uh, phrases, you go back and, for instance, in 2 Peter, make every effort to build up your faith. But what it says before that is everything you need to live the life that you've always wanted to live, God's already given you in full. He's generous. And then the word, the phrase, make every effort, is better translated spare no expense. Go wild. (laughs) Outdo yourself. Take the stuff that God has given you the riches of personality, of gifting, of resources and just go for it. You don't have to be cautious because He's generous. And he's risk-taking. He just kind of lets you go and whatever you do. And the third thing that these servants understand about this master that I think inspires the kind of risk-taking that they get into is they realize that the heart of this master is happiness. He's really happy. He's joyful. I mean, the big prize at the end uh, yeah, they, you know, one guy gets, you know, he gets more money and whatnot like that. But the, but the big prize at the end is come and share in my happiness. Like, come and share in my nature. <laughs> this is a very, very, you know, happy, kind of giddy God. <laughs> come into the party. You know, last, a uh, couple years ago, there was a, a bunch of books being written about, about, um, about hell, Um, And, and, you know, exploring uh, what what heaven and what hell is like. And uh, Christians were getting pretty owly uh, uh, in the conversation, kind of argumentative, back and forth. Is there a literal hell? All those sorts of things. But the one thing, I read many of the books that I, I noticed that nobody was talking about, is... an understanding of God, a vision of God that I actually would want to spend eternity in his presence. I mean, when you, it's, you have some people that you know in your life, you don't even want to spend an evening with them. Like, it's just like, it's like you've you got, you, the migraine starts before you even get there. They're just so full of complaint or full of themselves or... You know what I'm talking about. Maybe they're in the room, so we'll just kind of try not to look at each other and whatnot. But, 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 but people like the man that the bad servant describes, you're so stingy, you're so hard, you're so angry. I wouldn't want to spend an evening with that person, let alone eternity. The God that I am delighted and actually is my heart's desire (laughs) that I hope would be revealed and fulfilled if I went into the room is a God outrageously joyous. And to spend eternity in his presence would be mounting joy for me. How you see God is how you live life. The real story of your life is being told by by how, uh, what you're doing with what you've been given. And caution is always a signal that somehow your view of God needs some scaling up. The beautiful God, the glorious God, the laughing God, the joyful God. But here's uh, one thing that's interesting, that the actual master opens, uh, he he confesses to, he admits to, in the charge, the accusation that the bad servant brings against him. Bad servant says, you're hard, you're mean, you're nasty, you're, but then he says, because you harvest where you haven't sown and you take out what you haven't put in. And and the master actually says, if you knew that about me, <laughs> why didn't you actually just put the stuff in the bank so it'd have something? He admits to it. Yeah, you're right. I'm the God or I'm the master who harvests what I have not put in, and I take out what I, I or I harvest what I haven't sown, take out what I haven't put in. And I used to I pondered and puzzled over that. I I I puzzled and puzzled till my puzzler was sore on that one. Like, why is that somehow an attribute of the master that we want to hold up to say, right? Because when I first sat with it at the surface, it seems it's saying, you better try harder. You better run around being very anxious and very diligent and work, 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 because he's going to ask you for stuff, um, and he's, you know, he's going to ask you for a greater, greater increase And then it hit me that this is actually the best news of the whole story. This is the best part of who God is. The God who's generous, the God who's risk-taking, and the God who is joyful is saying this to you. What's your name? Rosia. What's it? Rosia. Rosia? He's saying, Rosia? I'm giving you a whole bunch of stuff. I'm giving you an amazing personality and lots of gifts and, and friends and, and resources and, and an education and all that. I'm going to give that to you. I'm just going to, out of the bounty of who I am, I, want to get, I love you. You're my daughter. I just want to give it to you. And, Rosia, I, I just, I'm just so excited because I know that when I come back, you're going to have done things beyond what I even could have asked or imagined. You're gonna have grown my kingdom in so I'm trusting you, Rosia. I'm trusting you actually to grow my kingdom. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And and, and he's just delighted. I, I want you to almost see God as this kind of giddy child, like What what, what, do you, what do you got? Oh, look at that. You whoa, you did well. Woo! Good on you! Come on and join the party. Like I I I mean it's So my son's here tonight. He drove down from campus. They love that lad, and uh, we bought him a bike when he was six or so. You remember that first bike, Adam? Anyhow, uh, I think, I think, I think, within the first first week or so, he he he, uh, bent the rim or something. Um, I was so happy. I was so happy. I thought that's my boy. Going out and living large. (laughs) Going out and taking risks. Going out and kind of being boy thing. Running into stumps or whatever he's doing. Uh, You know what would have broken my heart? Absolutely broken my heart as a dad. If I gave him that bike and a year later he called me into the garage and said, Dad, look, I haven't touched it. Not a scratch on it. Look, there's still those little rubber nubbies on the tires. They haven't even worn off. Like I, just, I, I come out here and polish it, but it's completely exactly like when I took it out of the box. That would have just been kind of disappointment. <laughs> and I would have pleaded with him. I didn't have to, as I'm giving you the sense of. But son, I got this so, so you'd use it, that <laughs> you'd enjoy it. And, and I know you're going to take some risks, and I know that sometimes. So here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. I got thinking as I was preparing, I'm almost done here, but I got thinking while I was preparing this, this uh, sermon, I thought, you know, what if we had a, another story of a servant, and he took these kind of incredible risks that these servants that are doubling the money took, but he kind of overreached, because when you're taking those kind of risks, right? When you're taking those kind of risks, you could lose it all, right? I mean, it could go bad. And so, because this is what, like, I mean, junk bonds or something. It's just crazy what they're kind of throwing money at. So I'm thinking, okay, what if, why didn't we get a story of, a, of one of the servants who just went crazy taking risks with the master's wealth, but he overreached and lost it all? I mean, I would just like that, you know, that part of the story to be told. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, we, we do have that story. There was a father and he had two sons. And uh, one son says, Give me everything. Come to me. Give me all this wealth. Bet you it was more than 10 bags. And the son went out and he didn't actually invest a a lick of it, he squandered the whole deal. Just wasted it in riotous living. And uh, then he gets to the place where it's all gone, and he's getting hungry and desperate, and he thinks, "You know, Dad's um, Dad's got lots of stuff, and maybe if I go back and I grovel and I beg and I offer to be a servant, work it off, and stuff, he'd give me just something to eat." Do you know this story? And so he, he starts to make his way home and the father sees him a long way off and the father goes, oh my goodness, there's my boy. And he comes running to him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, says, put some good clothes on this kid. Put my sandals, put my ring on and go kill that big fat calf we got out in the yard because we're having barbecue tonight. <laughs> Get the fiddle music. Start aerating that red wine. And have ourselves a party. (laughs) Now, I want you to hear me very clearly. God would actually rather you waste his wealth than never use it. That's how radical it is. He would actually rather you waste his wealth than never use it. But wouldn't it be better... (laughs) If you took all the things that the generous God is pouring out on you and you just went out and doubled the money. (laughs) There was a story I came across last year about some Arab Bedouins, some desert dwellers, camel herders that lived in northern Africa. And in World War II, uh, when there were some French troops positioned or or stationed down in uh, that part of North Africa, some of these soldiers befriended uh, some of these Arabic Bedouins. And these French soldiers were always trying to impress their new friends with all their technical gadgetry. So they show them their guns, show them their tanks, show them their bombs, show them their whatever, show them their planes, and tried to impress these guys who had lived in tents all their life, moving around the desert, herding their cattle, and just said, Are you, are you in awe? And, and these Bedouins, like, No. Finally, the war ended, and they, three of these soldiers had really become close with three of these Bedouins, and they brought them over to Paris. And they thought, okay, Paris is going to knock their socks off. We're going to show them Eiffel Tower, the Seine, the boat's going up and down. We'll show them Notre Dame. They're going to go crazy. And uh, they weren't impressed. One day, though, they, well, they took them out uh, to the Pyrenees. They took them to the mountains. Took them out in the in this wilderness, this farmland, these forests, these rivers and and these Bedouins are like oh my goodness. I how long how far does that forest go? Oh my goodness, look at that field. It goes does it go over the hill too? That river. But the thing that stunned these Arabic tent dwellers most is a waterfall cascading out of the side of the granite mountain. That they went to in the Pyrenees. And the thing was just gushing. It was white and blue. And it's pouring forth. Tons of water. Every pulse just pouring out. And they sat there. uh, Stood there for hours in awe of this thing. And they would turn back and forth. And they would say this is. Astonishing, And, and they would say if, if just one pulse of all that water coming out could water an entire village and all the people and all the animals where we come from for an entire year, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And finally, it's uh, getting to a place where they've been there for hours gawking and talking about this waterfall, and their host says, we, we got to leave now, it's getting dark, and they said, nope, we're not going anywhere no, we, we really got to leave. It's getting dark. We need to get back to our, our accommodation. No, we're not leaving. We will not go until God stops his insanity and turns that thing off. And their host said, uh, God has been doing this for thousands of years and we fully expect He'll be doing it for thousands more, <laughs> men and women. God has been lavishing His grace, His presence, His mercy, His goodness, His blessing upon you. John one fourteen. Out of the fullness of Jesus Christ, He's given you one blessing right upon the next. <laughs> And you don't have to be cautious with that. You can spare no expense. Because one day he's going to come back and he's going to be sort of like a giddy child and says, what do you got? What do you got? And wouldn't it be wonderful if just say, God, you gave me this personality, you gave me these abilities, you gave me these opportunities, and look at, I got more kingdom for you. And he'll say, God. come and share my heart